0: I'm Billy Clark. I'm Clayton Apgar. And
1: this is The Higher Life. So here we are at The Higher Life welcoming Colin King. Mm-hmm. The m- true multi-hyphenate in the New York and Los Angeles way. Stylist, designer, author. Tastemaker. Uh, tastemaker, most importantly. Man on the move. And Tribeca resident. Oh, is that true? Tribeca, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where he is. That's where the the live, work
2: that's where it all goes down. Mm-hmm. Although if we like get a calendar, I'm not really actually sure how many days of the year I'm there. Uh,
0: Always on the road. She's, yeah, she's a girl to move. Yeah. Do you like the travel as much as you're doing it now?
2: Yeah, I do. I mean, I really love being on the road and this part of my life, it feels very fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like I feel really close to the work and I feel like, you know, in it, like in the trenches a bit and I'm learning a lot. It's definitely not sustainable. Like I'm not going to be able to be doing this for much longer, especially like all the neglect of my like relationships, mm-hmm. both personal and family. Yeah, I'm just but I'm I'm really like the jobs are good. So
0: yeah. I'm, I'm saying no a lot, but I'm also loving the work. I mean, that's also great self-awareness to know that this works for this moment and something will have to shift and then you'll figure out how and when to do that while yeah. still doing the work that you love doing.
2: Yeah, and I feel like that's kind of what I've always done. Just, like, moved on
1: from one thing to the next. and well, it's, it morphs, right? Like, it yeah. kind of... And I, we've always subscribed to the mindset or mantra that the next thing will happen if you're putting in the effort to do what you want and f- continuing to explore and learn and develop. And this, like, master plan doesn't have to... It doesn't unfold. It just kind of naturally progresses. I guess, like... In your own words, what would you say that you do? Like, you know, I like, we're, we're joking, like the multi hyphen. That I hate when people say that, but I also so love many the expression. relatives. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, <laughs> what would you like tell somebody? Like, oh, I'm calling. Like, this is my thing.
2: You know, I'm trying to really narrow that in because I used to be so many things. But then it, it's funny because when I started doing just the one thing, like when I I had like all these just in case files. Like, I just was like training. I was consulting on social media. I was designing, I was doing all these things. But then when I decided to just do one thing and see what happened, uh, like the whole world opened up, you know, it's like I signed an agent and that was like, I'm just going to do this for a while and see where that takes me. Cause I was, for so long I was a multi-hyphenate, just trying yeah. to do so many things. So I'm kind of, I've really condensed into stylist. Like I really want to own that word, even though I think Mm-hmm. It almost has like I don't want to say negative connotation, but it just what does that mean? Is it a hairstylist, a fashion stylist? Like, what is a stylist?
1: And it's truly one of those careers that's like self proclaimed. Yeah, and and in the way that it's amazing because the barriers to entry are low by virtue of if you're a creative person and want to get into it, it can be a it can be a craft. But to actually be successful and like n- have notoriety is a like near impossible. You have to get other
0: people to want you to do that thing. Right, which and is I think incredibly hard, totally, and I think like
2: you know, the only references that we have are almost either like dead or <laughs> you know old because yeah. mm-hmm. I think it's it is also like a very traditional like there was almost a trajectory for normal stylists. They would style shoots or and then they would go right into editorial. they would do like they'd be the style director or they would be the you know editor in chief somewhere, like they would just keep that editorial arm and now. That's kind of.
0: Yeah, nice. It feels like a 20th century model. Totally. That, that in some ways you have reinvigorated in a new or a, adapted or made new.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean, I think for so long I want I shied away from it. Like an old boss was like, "Do you want to be a stylist?" And I'm like, "No, um, God, no. Um, God, no, yeah, why? That never. <laughs> I'm, no, don't even. Don't worry about it. Don't try and help me or anything. Because you know, growing up in Ohio, I'd, that job didn't exist. I didn't know what a stylist was or or what they did. And it almost felt too trivial too blanket, like, I don't know. Rock. It's a catch-all kind of. Yeah, the catch-all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've gotten so much feedback from like even social media of just like, wow, thank you for like, not paving the way, but kind of, like you said, reinvigorating, reimagining, like giving kind of a whole new perspective on what a stylist can be. Because mm-hmm. I think it is when you really put in your 10,000 hours, when you really are on set and like in the trenches and schlepping and moving and you do develop these really niche skills that are very um, attractive to brands and you can really leverage them in in interesting ways like product design, art direction, Mm -hmm. creative direction. And yeah, you're you're able to like really see shoots and be a part of something way before the public even sees them. Mm -hmm. So you're already like on the trends, if that makes sense, you're yeah. helping define
1: it. Yeah, and in it's, a way. I think the other thing too that's super interesting about the collaborative nature of a stylist—you're oftentimes working with other creative people's vision, and so it's how do we take what somebody had, has put into the universe and like they've started spinning something, but they don't quite know, but it's not finished yet, or it's not—it's not exhibited properly, and so that intersection of like instilling your own creative process, but also helping edit someone else's can be very complicated. But at the same time, you seem to have swooped in very adeptly to make creative people feel really comfortable that you're not stealing the limelight. You're not changing anything. You're edifying and like further honing it in a way that makes it that much more palatable and interesting and ultimately successful from a commercial perspective
2: yeah for sure. I mean, you know, I kind of approach every job the same, like, how can I help? You know, and I think I'm on set almost every day of the year, so there's a sense of like experience and calm that I can bring to a photo shoot that's like a lot of resources going into it. It's kind of high pressure. I think my experience in history as a dancer has really helped me navigate all of this because mm-hmm. I've just really been able to kind of pick up on the nuances of working with creatives, um both like. Choreographers and teachers, but also other dancers. And it really is a dance. And I'm I really want to f- stay in my lane when I'm in a, one of these jobs. Cause I think ultimately, like there's people that really see the value in what I do. And then there's other people that are really threatened by it. I'm obviously a lot more interested in the people that see the value in it. And there's so many amazing designers that I work with and collaborate with because, you know, ultimately the difference between a designer and a stylist is like a designer is looking at how they're client, their family is going to use a space, how they're going to live in it and how it's going to like sustain dur- and be durable over decades of use. I'm looking at it as like, how can we capture the spirit of the space? So it's like two different things. And, you know, I'm not sure I don't need to like worry about the naysayers or the people that are threatened, but I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I don't know what that kind of scope of thinking is that mm-hmm. I'm like there to like encroach. Because what I do is like very serious. Like if you think about how we learn from design, it's all books, it's all photographs, you know? So it's really a documentation. These people get one chance to like really document their work. And I really take it seriously. And I'm really just a translator of like, how can we take this beautiful 3D space and then translate it into 2D? Because it looks so different with a camera. I mean, some of my favorite rooms don't ever quite, Translate to yeah. the picture.
0: You have to be in, in them yeah, to get that three dimensional feeling.
2: Yeah. So it's just an edit and a masterclass in composition mm-hmm. and just using and harnessing experience of like having done this so many times to really find the nuances and the spirit of the space and making sure that's like captured. The crazy part about working with all these designers and other creatives is a lot of times some of their work's never seen or never properly mm-hmm. documented, or they never get to finish a project, or a client moves on. And um, so I really, that is like, I love that aspect of my job, and especially that, also the time frame is so short. Like I can do anything for a week. Can, anything can for a week. get out. <laughs> I, exactly. I mean, these people that get into bed with each other for years, I'm just like, ah. uh-huh. I mean, that brings up a whole other like, yeah, exactly. intimacy is
1: Totally. Yeah. Um I mean, that's for another <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not ours. Totally. What's so fascinating, and, the, sort of to tap on this, one of the things that we're so interested in exploring, not only through BCCM, but Little Book and obviously The Higher Life, is like how you got to where you are. And, you know, as our sort of first guest, you know, the background with Colin, and this has, it's been what, almost 10 years, 10 years? I've known you. Yeah. Originally, I, did we first meet in L.A. or was it here? L.A. In L.A. And it was your training days, you know, mm-hmm. at not only with Tracy, but then at Body by Simone. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, your transition to New York and the consort time and watching you. I'll never forget when you came to our office on 26th Street when you first moved to New York. And we're like, okay, like, I'm done with the social media thing. Like, I want to be in design. But, like, I don't know if I want a job, but I need a job. And I was like, no, like, you're not, like, really employable in, like, a traditional sense. And I remember sitting across from you being like, Let's look at the landscape and think about, like, what do we actually want to do and what makes sense? Because I remember even, like, sharing kind of profiles with you, and it was, like, they felt too cumbersome, mm-hmm. almost. Like, it was too limiting based on the sort of swath of things that you have done to date. And you kind of knew from that, or at least I knew from that moment, having done this for the last you nearly know, like 20 years. So it was, like, Colin's going to kind of, like, he's going to consult and sort of, like, swoop around a little bit, and, like, it's going to land. But in- inevitably, you became, you're an entrepreneur, virtue of you like you almost not had to, but like it was the natural progression, yeah, and' I'm just that I find that so interesting when you meet creative people that you know will mm-hmm. apprentice or will work you know you work with some great people with Tom and like saw and learned, but from that moment when you walked in the door, it was like okay, he's got his own like he'll be like blazing his own path,
0: so it was really cool to see that you now that you're actually like you're doing it did you feel like at that time during that sort of transitional phase when you walked in to meet with Billy? Did you feel like at a certain point you had to own, or as you as you wrote in so eloquently in the, the contribution to our book, make the leap by owning this new version of yourself as a stylist sort of internally and then the work came? Or were you the last to actually embrace the fact that, oh, I'm now a stylist doing this work that, you know, I've been putting myself out there and lo and behold, people have been asking me to do.
2: How did I know it was time to go? I mean, I feel like should we even go back further, like um, about because
1: well, like back to, like to the Abercrombie the, days. Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> Abercrombie
2: days. But also like the dance, the dance stuff, and totally. then yeah, then I. Transitioned. Um, well, basically I came to school here in, in New York for dance. I loved it, like the discipline. And it was such a great nurturing pillow coming from Ohio, like rural Ohio into like New York City because I was in this conservatory program. I couldn't really go outside of the lines because I was just like in, had to be at the bar. It was intense. Yeah. At 7am yeah, a, a, every morning. Yeah. B-A-R-R-E. Yeah. B-A-R-R-E. But I did do other bars too. Um, too many. And so, yeah. And then kind of getting out of that comfort of, of college after four years and just being like, oh wait, what do I do now? I have to support myself in New York City as a dancer, like waiting tables. Like I was such a great waiter. Um, <laughs> but I, I really did enjoy waiting tables because it was a dance. Again, like finding the, that relationship within. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I really, the audition process was so hard, but it, it gave me such thick skin. Like there was rejection after rejection after rejection, but I had this naive but blind ambition to just keep moving forward, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Because well, you're truly passionate about it. Yeah. And I also just wanted to prove my dad wrong. You know, uh-huh. like I really, he's like, you better have a backup plan. You better have a backup plan. Like, you know, yeah. with dance. Because even I would see my friends book jobs and it'd be like $500 a week. You know, like or Broadway people don't even make that much money either. It's really, I mean, it's such hardworking people, and mm-hmm. you're killing yourself,
0: yeah, yeah. physically, yeah, emotionally, physically, mentally, like spiritually. It's bankrupt. The whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Did you feel like you were? Were you successfully not taking it personally? I mean, that's what people always say, right? Oh, I wasn't taking it personally, or were you? You just resolved to because of whether it was the North Star of your dad or just knowing that you had to survive. Yeah, I mean.
2: I just really, I don't know if that's like the eternal optimist inside of me, but I just really was like, oh, the next one or the next one. And there was something just kind of pushing me forward. I'm not sure what that is. I think as a human being, you like have that or you don't. Like, I think, you know, there's people that like just a rejection comes, they go back for more, Mm -hmm. you know, or there's someone who's like, okay, I got it. And they like kind of dip out. And I was just always back for the next one, the next
1: one. What's the nature of being like a proper performer? Yeah. And I think that that, transcends as far as like a skill or like a an attribute to borrow from Little Book, like Mm -hmm. you're a performer on set. Yeah. You're a performer on stage. You're a performer whatever it is. And you know that without performing, you're like dead in the water. Right. And so like the rejection, you can, you know, internalize it, but then move past it. Because at the end of the day, like the only place you feel or the only time, excuse me, you feel really invigorated in it whatever is when you're performing whatever that is waiting tables you're like hey like i'm here from eight to two like
2: you know Mm -hmm. know." i mean performing is like we're performing when we're like walking down the streets of new york i mean come on it's just like (laughs) airpods in like just walking yeah you know but yeah and then like all, all of a sudden like new york just was like hmm maybe it's new york so i moved to la and i had an agent out there And again, just rejection after rejection, because in LA, they don't really have the classical opportunities that New York did. Mm -hmm. And I was like a classically trained dancer. So they're like, can you do a backflip? I'm like, no, but I'll learn. And then, you know, it's like, what's your trick? They're
1: like, you're 6'3". You're like, I will do a backflip.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I'm not a gymnast, but I'll figure it out. And... Yeah, and then my agent at the time was like, hey, so the dance thing seems to not really be working out. Do You, you should go to training. Like, that's just kind of the natural progression of people is they just, they know how to use you their age,
1: bodies. You age out of something, too. Like, you get yeah, past, like...
2: At 22. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, like, you know, ultimately, dance saved my life in so many ways, but do I think I was the best dancer? Or, like, it, you know, I would look to people left and right of me who, like, ate, slept... Breathe dance, and I was like, give it to him. Mm -hmm. Like, he really wants it. I could go home and kind of be like, oh, we'll see. We'll see about the next one. But do you know when you see something in someone that they like desperately want it? I didn't have that for
1: dance. Maybe at one point you did, but then you got past it and you're like, cool, like it's no longer my thing.
2: And I don't think we really know what the purpose is of each section of our life is. But I think for me, dance really got me out of Ohio. It gave me this like, Toolkit of amazing skills of just like being able to see something, then put it on my body, having like really strong image recall. Like, I mm-hmm. still use that stuff
0: today. I mm-hmm. mean, it very much feels additive, and you wouldn't be here without that era. Oh, no. no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: Clayton's a trained actor. I'm not clearly a trained performer, but it's it's fascinating when you meet people that have done that for a passionate, whether
0: it's a livelihood or a like, and for a time, like it was a, an episode of life. That you was yeah. like that was a chapter that you both like
1: really honed in on, and like have been were so narrowly focused on something that, to your point, the rejection is insane. Like the if you run the numbers, yeah, it doesn't make sense to do it. No. But like, you don't think about that. you are rather, like, oh, I can't not perform. Like, what else am I going to do?
2: And I was like kind of elitist in a way where I was like, oh, I'm waiting on Broadway. Like, they, they had to get the cruise ship offer <laughs> or like the Vegas offer. And I'm like, no. But I saw people really take those jobs just to continue their craft, you know? And I think that's really important. And I was unwilling to do that. So mm-hmm. that was kind of a, a sign
1: too. It's fascinating that you, to touch on that, one of the things I've always been impressed. In your like career arc, Colin, is everything you worked on has been at like the absolute like sterling, like A level. Like, I'm not gonna take something that I'm not gonna not take Broadway. If I'm gonna be a trainer, I'm gonna work for Tracy Anderson. Right. And even in terms of your styling work, like you, and then obviously the products that you're developing now, it's at this level that is unwaveringly high taste and aspirational. But still like accessible by virtue of who you are. And I think that's such an interesting dichotomy that a lot of people, and I wouldn't even the it sounds negative or derogatory, but like you know that like you have to be operating at the pinnacle. Otherwise it's just not something you wanna do. Right. And it's curious as to like how have you always felt that way?
2: Yeah. And I think it's like, I mean, honestly, a lot of it's just this like grandiosity mixed with low self-esteem in a way, you know, like I was always so grandiose with my thinking. Like I was like, Oh, I'm just shooting for, for the sky. And if I feel like if you shoot for the sky, you'll at least land on a like pretty high cloud. Right. You know, I was never, I w- never compromised. I was never just like taking low hanging fruit. I was always trying to like get
1: to the top. Yeah. And like a similar analogy, like shoot for the stars and land on the moon.
0: Totally. It also sounds like, I mean, you used the phrase earlier, borrowed confidence, which I thought was just, it's, it's a lovely phrase and it feels like that sort of shooting for the stars combined with borrowed confidence seems like a really powerful combination in terms of your continuing to build your career, even though you didn't know exactly where it was going and, and how you were going to get there. Those were very much the building blocks that allowed you to transition from dance and then transition to training. And then, as you said, I mean, when you were in, when you were doing five, six things at the same time, all as a part of what was your job or jobs. Totally.
2: Yeah. And I think like also I think people get so hung up on how things should be or that there's like a um, it's kind of like a ladder you have to climb mm-hmm. where I'm like, but there's like a side door, there's back door.
1: There's like a couple windows, break the window, get in how you can.
2: Yeah, for sure. Because like, you know, I always say like my lack of experience as a stylist was like my secret weapon Hmm. because I didn't pick up like the bad habits of shadowing someone or assisting someone. I had no idea how it worked at all. And I actually, it gave me a lot more creative ways to how I thought it should work. So I was like reaching out to ceramicists to pull things. I wasn't going, I didn't even know what a prop house was. I wasn't sure what a flower market was. So it was like snipping branches. People like say like, oh, you're such like a thoughtful minimalist. And it was really just like me not knowing what I was doing, mm-hmm. not having brought like truckloads of stuff. It was just like, well, um, I got these like tulip bodega flowers and I'm just going to put one in here and there. Spread I, only it out. D- I only have a dozen. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the world is different than it used to be. You know, I think that you can really experiment with your own path in your own way. I was always waiting on that roadmap that like, here, here's how you do it, you know? And, And really that's like, you'll be waiting forever. It just, and it's, and there's no formula. Like everyone's like, oh, can you give me advice on how you got to where you are? And I'm just like, oh, it was long. How much time do you have? You know, and it, it, it's not, it's never going to be the same for any two people. It's um, circuitous.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you feel like now that you are so established and working so creatively in a range of areas that there is... A set of expectations that comes along with new projects that um, where you feel like you want to keep in creating the next or inventing the new. Are, are you feeling it all? Like people now come to you with a set of expectations. They want like, the common they want King. you to be the branch guy. Oh yeah, yeah. They for want sure. to be they're like, like, <laughs> they're like
1: we want one ceramic
0: <laughs> yeah. vessel. But wait, you yeah. did one,
1: <laughs> and we want it yeah. to be kind of taupe. Totally. <laughs>
2: I mean, I think like, I mean, that's a challenge of every creative, right? Because like when you make it mm-hmm. or, you know, you have your best-selling product, even a brand or whatever, and you're trying to expand and and like keep honing in on, on what you love and what kind of makes you tick, it's, it's really a balance. You have to find the time to really donate to that because a lot of, yes, a lot of brands, a lot of clients hire me for that one thing. But then there are these amazing clients too, like Robin Stanford, like, these people that really push me to be maximalist. And they're like, they don't put me in a box, which I really mm-hmm. like. You know, we just did this amazing shoot called Legendary Entertaining. It was so maximalist. Like, it was way... It was, there was no Dutch still life to be found. I was you, <laughs> no. I was mentioning, like, it's kind of like,
1: we're in Maastricht, like, 1740. It was like
2: Elsa Peretti meets Halston on, like, a rough night. You know, like, a mm-hmm. crazy night. And um I really appreciate just... The opportunity, and like I'm so grateful that like she's just sees in me that I I can do many different things. It's not just one thing. I'm not just like the branch guy, of course. Like that's I love that, but and I and I can do it. But I think that's just like one percent of me. You know, Mm -hmm. there's so much. There's so much more. But you know, ultimately, again, it was that lack of experience. Like it was the foraging. It was kind of like making that work. So. You know, when I was doing my own place in Tribeca, it was really like interesting to try and find my own personal point of view and style because I'm like, what is it? I don't even know.
1: It's so funny. It's kind of it's such a fascinating segue. Like now that you're doing product, right? So the collaborative nature of styling, like you've get a gold star and you know how to work with creatives So you know how to like edit and further enhance their vision. But now that you know with the rug, with the rugs and the other assortment of things that you're developing, like you're kind of a standalone Colin King as designer. How does that happen? Like, how does that feel? How does it, how is it different? Is it more exciting? Is it less exciting? Like, I want to hear about that.
2: Yeah, it's definitely exciting because it's new, it's fresh. It like helps me just develop and learn as a creative. I'm, like there's so much that I thought that I knew. And then doing all of this is just like so new. But, you know, I think... As a stylist, you get everything at the end. You get all the product. It's already been made. Here, make it look nice. And sometimes it's great, sometimes it's not. But your job is to make that look really great. So now, working backwards, like getting to go to the beginning, mm-hmm. to like product development, and then thinking of how it's going to be shot or how it's going to be sold. Is really exciting Mm -hmm. because there's so much, so many things that I'm constantly trying to reach for or find that I can't find. So trying to fill that void with something that I, I really think not only will photograph well, but is kind of needed in in an assortment because I work with so many brands.
0: Is that how you've been approaching some of these collaborations, things that you would like to see in the world?
2: Yeah, but I also find that like that makes it sound like I take myself too seriously because it's all just like an experiment too. Like when someone's like, "Oh, if you were to design a product, what would it look like?" I'm like, "Oh my god, you would make something that I draw." Like there, there, <laughs> there is something like very kid-like in a way, like very imaginative, well, exploratory. Um, I would imagine, right? Yeah, it's it's really it's really fun. But like, I submitted so many drawings, and then to work with a company like Menu, for instance, that's like the pinnacle, like Danish design. I mean, they're just like at the top of the design world. And like to have them really sift through like the stack of drawings that I sent and be like, this is good. And like really having that relationship and that dialogue was really important. And I believed them because it was a borrowed confidence again, because I'm like working in kind of uncharted territory, but with in a collaborative way with people that are experts.
0: Did you like that edit and interpretation? Because often you are... The edit and the interpreter.
2: I hated it. I mean, <laughs> when they picked that interconnect candle holder, like the long handles, yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if that's like the best.
1: Like, is that what I really want to put in yeah, the universe? Like, totally. is that going to be the Colin King thing? <laughs> yeah. like uh-huh. I already do like long branches. Like, do I need to like do a long candlestick?
2: Yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, ultimately, like the reasons I made it were because, you know, when you put a candlestick in a photo, it disappears. And I'm like, how about you know, making this like grand gesture for a candle and they really saw the value in that. And I believed them. And then now it's like doing really well. And it was kind of the start of this like subsequent eight piece collection that came out and really playing with proportions and, and really not playing small, really making those grand gestures. Mm -hmm.
1: I love that. And I think that's one thing that I've seen over the last, you know, X number of years working like with talent recruitment and you know, matchmaking professionally, people try to do things like in very small doses sometimes and like quiet voices. And it's like, no, like you have to kind of like go big or go home. Like, like if you're going to be making an impression or making an impact, like it's important that you at least put all the energy behind it. And if it flops, it flops. But like better to flop than kind of be like, oh, like, well, and kind of like didn't yeah. go anywhere. Yeah, swing so so to for to those do home that, runs
2: every time you're up to bat. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, playing small too, or, or even trying new things, right. And in a big way or on a, a, on a big platform, because, you know, so often a lot of times some talent that I work with are like, Oh, I've never done this before. Or I've never. And I'm like, if I said that for every time I tried something new every day, or I like styled with a pillow, I've never styled before. I would say it at least a hundred times, but Mm -hmm. I had never designed a rug before, but I'm like, I can do that. You know, and I've never signed the product before, but I'm willing to try and like walk through that fear. I think a lot of people like, oh, no, I, I've never done that before.
1: Yeah. Do you know we what see, I mean? Uh, totally. Or they're like, does it make sense to take this leap? Like, should I do like this new, like, you know, making this like, is this new job the right thing? I'm like, I don't know. You're pretty miserable where you are. And like, this is a pretty good gig. So like, just do it. And you're, you know? you're not going to know
0: all the answers when you decide to do it.
2: And I truly believe that there's no, you can't make mistakes. Like, if it's where you are, it's where you're supposed to be. And if it's not the right fit, you'll move on. But I don't think, you figure it out. Yeah, I don't think you can really make a a mistake. You'll always, there's a million ways to the same place.
0: We always say not everything can be a 10 out of 10 as you're evaluating anything. Because we just, oftentimes, we don't even know what the scale is. What's the benchmark? Yeah.
1: Obsessed with the title of the new book, mm-hmm. Arranging Things. Like we're taught like never to use the word thing. And like the fact that you went with that is yeah. really really pretty solid. How did the idea to publish a book come up? Like, was that something you've thought about? Were you approached? Like, walk us through how that unfolded.
2: So I just have to say, like, read those cold emails and read those cold DMs because a literary agent, Carla Glasser, came to me and she was like, on an email, cold email, and the subject was, are you writing a book? And she's like, hi, I'm so-and-so, I think you should write a book. And I had arranging things in my Instagram bio because I'm just arranging things. Just a mover with an eye. And... (laughs) She's like, I think you should write a book called Arranging Things and maybe it could be like this. And she she kind of did it by surface, like mantles and bookshelves. And I was like, it's a little on the nose. It doesn't really quite work. But we met and she's like, I think I can really sell a book. So she comes back and she had like three deals and we picked one. And um, it, we were publishing with Rizzoli. And it's another one of those things where I was not seeking it it kind of found me i think like even back to the beginning of the conversation if you're doing whatever you're doing and you're doing it really well you'll just attract things and, mm-hmm. um, and
1: it's great to have champions like an agent like colleagues in the industry like you know what you mentioned robin or people that you've worked with that are like truly aces in their field and when you surround yourself by people like that you're only going to produce good content
2: for sure anything i've tried to do on my own i've been completely steamrolled or like if I haven't had an advocate for me I'm an under earner by nature I'm full of resentment because I didn't my scope of work wasn't properly you know paid for I'm a creative so I don't know how to do all the business stuff or like advocate Mm -hmm. for myself so yeah my whole life changed when I got an agent and I know it's not easy for everyone to That's not like just
1: like super attainable but you didn't like wake up one day and was like I'm gonna find an agent today never right no You just kept producing good work, and it happened.
2: Yeah, and I, when AD commissioned me to do Athena's house, Athena Calderon, I swoon, her house, and that kind of went viral. And I started helping her with her book, Live Beautiful, and I styled for that. And that's when I met Robin. Mm -hmm. And she was starting The Guild, the shop in in the city.
1: And a gallery too, right?
2: Yeah, now they have a gallery, I mean, restaurant. Again, talk
1: talk about multi-hyphenate.
2: There's nothing she doesn't have her hand on. That was really a turning point in my career because I started working with a photographer who has the agent that now I have. So my work was being constantly put in front of this man. So he is the one who you know reached out and was like, hey, can we do a test run? And that test run happened to be the cover of T Magazine, which mm-hmm. he was just like, let's see how we work together. Mm-hmm. And then
1: we signed the rest the of the history. history. Yeah. It's interesting you to tap on that word viral. You've been a true maestro, I wouldn't say master, but a maestro on social. And I'm curious as to how, is that a lot of practice? Do you have a strategy in your head? Not like with your you know PR team, and what have you, but like when you're putting together the content that you want to put into the universe, how did you start doing that? Even back from the consort days, like you were working with those guys to put pieces and, you know, create their brand. Right. I guess the question I'm trying to ask is, you've been a maestro at organizing beautiful things on social channels. How impactful has that been in your career?
2: I mean, it's kind of my career period. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have jobs. All I had was my phone and like this phone has a camera on it. And that was really how I developed my eye. I would go to the museum, take a picture. I'd like find all these like really nuanced things that I really liked. And I started finding my point of view and like, I think just creating your own content, like I didn't wait to get hired. I was like making work, whether or not it was a public pr- you place. You were
1: producing work. Producing truly. work, Like you yeah. were actually like, here's my subject. I'm like, you're creating this, the set.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, you start to develop this visual language. I mean, for me, I didn't make it up. Like there were a lot of references that I liked. Like it was just self-taught. You know, there, it was. it's all about really... For me, just getting scrappy and I was like, there were images that I really liked and I'm like, oh, I could do that. I could find something like that and really, you know, I'd take a hundred pictures for the one that I liked. Yep. But then, you know, finding how do I like the light, the shadows, you know, and I and I started just developing what I wanted my grid to look like because... I mean, this was back in like 2015, 2016, where like Instagram was a thing.
1: Stories didn't even exist
2: yet. Yeah, no, no stories, <laughs> no, reels. no reels. There were no reels. reels no. And I really saw the value in it because I was like, oh, wow, this is like a portfolio. It almost became fun because I really looked at it as like a place where if someone were to go there, I think they could find, like they could get the essence of what I like visually. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, then quarantine happens. COVID happened. And again, all I had was my phone. I was like single in Brooklyn Heights in this tiny little apartment.
1: Which looks great, by the way.
2: Thank you. <laughs> and we, and you know, I really, we, I'm like, who else was there? Me and all the people <laughs> in my head. But I really, in order to survive that time, I really had to create a routine. And and I created this Stay Home, Still life series. And that really engaged my following. And like the numbers just Climbed like that was really my like incubator period of producing still lives, like not being paid, just doing it just to stay sane. It was almost like a meditation.
1: You have a Dutch master, an Ohio master.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little Ohio master painter, whatever. I just like hearing that, as you said, I mean so much of that time was discovering your point of view. It wasn't fully baked, or you know, the taste was in you, but it is is not like from the start you had like colin king's point of view as today it would be easy to say like oh just like you've always been this good at curating beauty in the world but no it's, it's something that you had to realize you possessed through time and experimentation and that as you were building your following you weren't building you weren't doing the work to build your following you were no. doing the work because you loved putting things out there and it was a period of self-discovery and all of the things that came along with it were great, like yeah. an increased following and, and the opportunities that followed too. But that I think there's a temptation for all of us to see people who are successful, especially in a taste making capacity and to think, oh, they just always had, had that thing and they knew it as no. opposed to, well, no, I, I don't
2: know. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, for me, I was really always attracted to the unstyled. Like, I loved the way a drape did when someone just shoved it. I loved the way a stanchion fell when it was just like pushed in a corner or the way the cord hung when someone just moved the lamp. And I think back
1: to that branch, just the I way mean, the branch back is. Branch just
2: the way the <laughs> branch sits in there. So, in, and I still try and emulate that of like, I don't want a room to feel perfect. I don't want a room to feel styled. I want it to feel like someone might have just been there or. You didn't know there was a camera on there and it just was like that. That's why I'm not really into like tight floral arrangements and like I didn't want, you didn't know the guests were coming and they just came and the right. house looked really nice. Right. Yeah.
0: So what's, one idea, concept, thing you're thinking about that you aren't doing yet? If there is one, just something that you might be noodling on. That you're willing to share. Yeah, that you're willing, that to, willing yes, to share. It's, it's not a <laughs> secret.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, it's funny because as an entrepreneur, business owner, there's always that idea of scale. Mm. How do I scale? And when you're yourself, you're pro- the product, it's not easy because I'm like, I'm. there's no way I can be on set. I was on set 180 days last year. Like there's no way that's wow. like sustainable. But I'm, like I said, I'm so in love with the work. I know that if I try to scale, the further and further away I will get from the work. So, you know, there are ideas swirling in my head of how I can partner with designers in a more interesting way. And earlier on, and like maybe there's... And I have a really great name for it, but I don't want to share it. But maybe there's a way we can- next (laughs) episode. Maybe there's a way we can partner where we can set aside time and budget to like have me come in at the end and we can really collaborate that way Mm -hmm. and be a part of the design experience and really build out a firm in that way. Because I think, you know, whether that means holding inventory or just coming in for blank, 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 the the name of the business I'm thinking. Right. Because- Honestly, like a lot of designers, love placing furniture, love building millwork, but they're not stylists. They
1: don't accessorize. Like, mm-hmm.
2: what's going on? This or they're they're kind of tired. There's some fatigue at the end of a project, or you know they've gone to the end of the budget. And if we could somehow carve it up, me coming at the end, having like a like f- those fresh eyes, everyone's happy. We shoot it, son. You know, and really yeah. having those more concrete relationships, I think could be interesting and i think like uh, arranging more things
1: maybe mm-hmm. that's the I mean, is yeah. that, wait is that the, the, the sequel
2: <laughs> yeah the sequel <laughs>
1: still um, arranging yeah, things still
2: here arranging. <laughs> um and also i really the benny guys and i partners w- with this artist in marrakesh and we made this beautiful for sculpture for salone yeah mm-hmm. for the rugs and i've done a few partnerships with suzanne demish in her yeah. gallery, to not, mm-hmm. and and done some exhibition design. So I really would love to explore more experiential installations, exhibitions, like where people can really go and experience the work in 3D rather than in a photo.
1: And I think that's also too cool as well as like the market for design and like, I mean, lifestyle for hackneyed cliche as it is. Like, for people that might not be in like the trade community in the A and D world can understand, they might not be able to. Aff- afford the sofa or the thing. But the styling component I think speaks to such a broad audience that mm-hmm. people can live after have experienced, you know, the quarantine, some what have you the last few years. If you're gonna be home, like making your place look really special and making it feel inviting and welcoming and warm so that you could have the unplanned guests. Or if you're home alone just reading your book, like, wow, like my apartment feels really nice and I didn't have to spend mm-hmm. a lot of money to do it. Yeah. And so I love that you are th- to me, like you're bridging this kind of gap where, like, not everyone can hire a designer. Right. Nor do they want to necessarily. But they can still live a well curated, sophisticated, attractive, but those are even sound like loaded terms. Like, they can feel at peace and at home and welcome
0: in their own space. And that just feels really good. Yeah, something that'll make them feel, make us all feel happier. And is, can you come in and like, do my elevator
2: do. pitch for the book? Because it's kind of like what the book is about. Because as a self-taught stylist, I have no process, or I think I have no process. And Sam Cochran really helped me distill a process because something that feels so intuitive, I'm looking at a photo. And even if I don't have the things, right, I don't have that sofa, I don't have that table, I don't have that stool, and I sure as heck don't have that lamp. But I do have all of those things, and I think I could arrange it in a way that Mm. felt cool and felt like this photo and that's all I've been doing for years and years and years Mm -hmm. it's just looking at you, yeah and just just looking at compositions (laughs) and it's I'm not looking at the thing I don't want that exact lamp because I know it's not going to work in my space so encouraging people to still have their point of view yeah but it's an arrangement it's a composition of objects that feels good that feels interesting and unique like oh they had that pile of books on the floor with a lamp on it like I can do that Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be that those titles with that lamp. I think so many people see an image and they're like, wow, I really like that, but they don't know what they like about it. So the book really is a way of seeing and like looking past the intended use of an object. Or maybe you bought that table for that corner, but it looks better with that side chair.
1: Maybe you want to paint it black and like, cause you yeah. bought it and it was white and you're exactly. like, well, that didn't make any sense.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's, I mean, and, and in that sense, they are all things that we can get. Creative with. I mean, look at that. We come back to the word thing. I mean. Everyone's got a thing. They're all things. <laughs> mm-hmm. We could keep talking for hours. I feel like we need to. We can conclude, conclude on things. things. Conclude on things. Come on, This has been like really special. Really?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It has
0: been really special.
2: It's been. I mean, I feel so honored and grateful to be your first guest.
1: We were noodling on who have we truly like throughout like a career arc have we seen from like the early days And it's been like 10 years in the making to see you have achieved this level of success through like obviously hard work, perseverance, you know, all of those other adjectives. But also just like you've maintained a total sense of humbleness and like wanting to still show up tomorrow like at 6.30 on set
0: with some branches is pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. And commendable. Thank you. So we should officially say that your book— Is arranging things with Sam Cochran, published by Rizzoli. It's coming out in March of 2023. March 14th. Update. Buy all the things at menu. Yeah, everything at menu,
2: menu, Benny Rugs. Probably when this comes out, there'll be a new collection of Benny Rugs. There's going to be another one next year. Amazing. Yeah. He's a busy boy. Yeah. And more with menu next
0: year. That's That's exciting. Congratulations, you.
2: Thanks so much. This was fun. Thanks for having
0: me. All right. Until next time. The Higher Life comes to you from Little Book Productions, that's produced by Hanger Studios in New York. Our gratitude many times over to Rob Cairns, who composed our theme music, Julia Deutsch, who created our graphics, and the fantastic teams at Billy Clark Creative Management and Little Book Productions. Thanks for listening, and as always, onward.